howdy. This is Dr. Jesse Reich, aka Agro, founder and CEO of Splinterlands, the blockchain game that's really a Trojan horse onboarding the masses into crypto. You're listening to Edge of NFT, the podcast that's delivering you the top NFT content. Stay tuned. Hey, all you NFT curious listeners. Check out today's episode to learn how Splinterlands is bringing peace, prosperity, and freedom to the masses. How today's guest wants to make working for the man a thing of the past. And finally, learn whether Hennessy's NFT drop is a money grab or just the beginning of something bigger for the brand. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming up March 28th to the 30th. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as early as possible for the best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special, unforgettable experience, there are still opportunities to get involved. They're also going fast. So please reach out at contact at edgeofnft.com. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Dr. Jesse Reich, aka Agroad founder and CEO of Splinterlands, a digital collectible card game built on blockchain technology. It is similar in concept to games like Magic the Gathering and Hearthstone, where you build up a collection of cards which all have various stats and abilities and use them to battle other players in skill-based matches. By using blockchain tech, players can buy, sell, and trade their digital assets freely just as if they were physical cards, and all transactions are recorded publicly and immutably. Jesse has been a gamer for life and created his own game in 2014 using Kickstarter. After working with his partner, Matt, they decided to combine forces and develop a digital version of another game Jesse had been designing, which became Splinterlands. Before founding Splinterlands, he worked as a professor, then as part of software sales and marketing for educational software companies. Agrode, it is a pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. It's exciting stuff. These are hot days for NFTs. I don't know if you guys have been getting that feeling here too, but people seem to dig them. Yeah, 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 man. It seems like January is going to be a warm month for NFT season. Let's talk about origin story, man. Like where the heck did this idea for Splinterlands like really come from? We gave a little bit of background there, but give us the full scoop. When I was working with my partner, I made like a game back in 2014, but you know, like I physically printed it and it was not that like making the game and like talking about the game. That was awesome. Physically printing it, shipping it, storing it, reshipping it to like individual users was like an absolutely miserable process. I knew if I ever made something again, I did that as a hobby. I took like the weirdest route into this stuff as possible. I'm a PhD chemist. So like I was a full-on professor teaching courses at a military college in Massachusetts and then uh, switched over to publishing and then like got in. I've always been a gamer, but like 
what I really did was catch the crypto bug. Like I want to have the most honest conversation on this show that I can. I got real pissed. I got real angry. And I said, this world just totally sucks right now. There's way too much poverty. There's way too much war. The surveillance state is totally overwhelming and disgusting. And what I want is to provide the antidote for those kinds of poisons. And I think that it's peace, prosperity, and freedom. And when I looked around, I said, what do I need? What tool can actually help undo all this crap? I landed on crypto. Crypto is the most powerful tool, you know, second only to like memes to go like change the way that people's behaviors are. And so in my brain, I, I quit. I said, I'm done. I like threw my PhD on the floor. I said, oh, I don't even care about this stuff anymore. But I'm going to dedicate my life to this. And what I really wanted was a way to get people that aren't into crypto to actually get into it and experience the benefits. Crypto teaches you peace. It helps facilitate so much trade that you're just not likely to like fight, kill, or murder the people that you do business with. And crypto is kind of facilitating all that. That surveillance state kind of gets pushed back because you have so much control of your own finances. They can they can measure every transaction that they want. You can still send things the same day to whatever person you want in the world whenever you want to. You just need your keys and some coins and you're good to go. There's a lot about this that I love. But when I was looking around back in 2018, I was talking to my partner and we were like, it's not going to be some high finance application that brings the masses here. Maybe you'll get that for like trading and it'll be billions of dollars. Don't get me wrong. Trading will be big money, but I just don't see that as like the way that you get mainstream into crypto. It's too, it's too niche, but gaming is something where I can like grab somebody by the collar and say, come play this game. I'm not even going to shove the blockchain stuff down your throat. You're just going to play it and have fun. But by the end of it, you're going to go from this normie that like never really experienced this stuff to being like, you know, here are my keys, here are my passwords, here's my NFTs, my own digital programmable assets, here are the tokens that I own. We're going to turn you into a degen through our game, and we're going to be at the vanguard of doing that. You're like the guy that's putting, sneaking peas into a delicious calzone, and they don't even know that they're eating the peas because <laughs> the calzone is so delicious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's definitely a Trojan horse. It's like, you're going to come here for this game, but you're actually going to stay for the life-altering crypto experience that you're getting. We really want to go down that road. It's more like putting LSD or like some other crazy narcotic into that calzone. The people don't even know how much that this stuff can like inherently change your behavior, change your mindset. That like I just had a bank put a nine-day hold on a check that I deposited. Like, how do you animals do business like this? Even Bitcoin, where it's like an hour to process sometimes, I'm like, to hell with this. Who can even handle this? You know, it's like, you know, I, I need my transactions fast. I need the ownership to be mine. I need the, I want the like freedom of speech that comes with these kind of things. You know, you look at like Twitter, you look at YouTube, they're platforming everybody, they're demonetizing everybody. Like they own your stream. You think you own it, but you don't. You are like renting it and they're like paying you little like, what is it? The little crumbs of the income that they're getting based off the views and the data that they're selling for you and your audience, you're getting the crumbs and people don't even get it. Like it, it's going to take another couple of years for this to like fully sink in how much that web 2.0 has totally been screwing and extracting value users. But here, at least I'm trying to be one shining example of here is a game, come play it. 
come own it. It's fun. It's exciting. It's like competitive puzzle solving. It's actually like quite enjoyable. Oh, and by the way, all along the way, you're not like wasting your money. You're buying assets. You're collecting tokens. You're growing your knowledge base. You're building a community. We're going to change your life. It's not going to happen in a week, but like over time, as you kind of like enter into this game and this experience, we're going to turn you into a crypto degen and you're never going to look back. Let's cut open this calzone just because I'm really enjoying this analogy probably too much. And I'm afraid of how addicted I will get to your game, especially after this podcast. But in spite of my fear, go ahead and sort of unpack what's in this calzone. Describe Splinterlands to us. What we want is, again, our primary mission is to bring people into crypto. And so what we try to do is make this stuff as simple as possible, not like the game mechanics. The game mechanics need to be rich and complex, but what you have to do in the game needs to be really simple. So you come into our game and you buy a pack of cards. And in that pack of cards, you'll have summoners and monsters. And the summoners are like a team coach and your monsters are like the team. And so they'll do battle. It's like gladiator combat. It's simulated. This kind of takes people getting used to it. It's a trading card game, but it's an auto battler. So the battles are only like two to three minutes. So if you're used to own magic Pokemon or something like that, you're like, well, what, where's my turn by turn? Why isn't this like a 30 to 60 minute game? And so it takes a second to get used to the fact that this is no, it's actually like two to three minutes, super quick, all about the strategy. You get in there, you're playing, you're battling it out. And like right after you, you watch it, you see how it played out and you're right back into the next strategy. And so what you're actually doing when you get a match, you find out who your opponent is. There's a couple rules that change every single match. So when you're starting off, it's always the standard rules. But when you get into like Silver League or Gold League, now the rules start changing all the time. And that means that there's not one card that you have to own. It's the all-powerful thing. It's like, oh, I can't even play it this round. Oh, now it's nerfed. Oh, now it's the most powerful card in the game. But it keeps changing depending on the rule set. There's also like a mana cap or a mana cap where determines how much worth of cards you can spend. So like you're not actually spending them. They're not gone. It's like resource capping. You know, it's like, you know, here you can only play three cards here. You can play six big cards here. You can play either three big ones or five little ones. And that's, that's all part of the strategy of this. And then what team you can play. So that's kind of the, the way that we change this thing up all the time. When you, but as a player, you come in, you look, you see who your match is, you see what the rules are, you see what your mana cap is, you see what splinters are available. And then all you have to do is choose your summoner and choose your monsters. The battle plays out and it takes two to three minutes and it'll spit out a winner. And if you're the winner, you earn cryptocurrency. And then there's things like daily quests. So if you complete enough battles that meet certain criteria, then you'll get either NFTs or fungible tokens that are part of the game. If you're sitting there and you own assets, currently there's an airdrop going on. So you get a governance token. If you stake the governance token, you can get more governance token. And we're building out sort of all all the ways that that governance token can influence the environment. But ultimately, we want this game to be like one of the first, if not the first, truly decentralized game where it's it's really up to the players. So like we'll, we'll be a development company to help build it. And we'll provide some vision, but like the ultimate fine-tuned details is something that like we want validator nodes for, and we want 
like an entire system of how this all runs, but to really be ultimately a game that is owned and operated by the users where our company assists in building the things that they want or we want, but are ultimately only approved by the stakeholders that own the governance token. It's amazing, man. There's so much there. And it's very clear that you are the primary reason that unemployment by choice has gone up in the United States over the last several months. (laughs) How are you ever going to work your slave job? You know, like you're going to show up and you're going to, you're going to like, I don't know. There's like crafts and trades and that it's God's honest work and it's wonderful. So I don't want to, I don't want to disparage it, but like the alternative is you get to hang out at home, own NFTs, watch them appreciate, earn and battle with them. And the two aren't even mutually exclusive. I mean, one of the two demographics that I thought of, I traveled a bit through Southeast Asia and you would have all these like shopping malls and you would have all these like people selling t-shirts and shorts and dresses and underwear and whatever else they're going to sell. And they're in these malls. And like, if traffic is slow, you don't make any money that day. Well, imagine that you're sitting there, you have your phone and you can actually do some play to earn while you're waiting for customers. Maybe it's too early or too late in the day and nobody's there. Maybe it's an outdoor market and it's kind of rainy. Like rather than just being like, oh, that day was wasted. Why not like do some play to earn and you can actually like battle and earn so that you're like, we call it play to earn. And sometimes I'm like, this is like work to earn, you know, like you can actually get both done at the same time. And another demographic that I keep thinking of is single moms. We're like, you know, if you put your baby down, you can't, you can't just like go out and get a job. You can't like do part-time labor somewhere. Like, oh, my baby's sleeping. I will go to my next door neighbor's house and clean it. Like that's not an option, but something like play to earn is. So it's kind of this way that you can fit like one to two hours of community video game labor and work into your overall ecosystem. That's at like the lower end of the spectrum where you're like, you're socioeconomically disadvantaged and your objective is to earn money so that you can like eke out a living as the fiat governments keep like printing money ad nauseum, devaluing your dollar so that you can never like catch up on how much rice you need to eat. Right. So like that's the face that those guys are facing. And what they'll often do is they'll rent cards in our ecosystem. There's so many different ways to earn in this game that you can rent cards and make a profit doing that. Well, who are they renting those cards from? It's the whales. So the whales buy up a whole bunch of cards. You know, sometimes they'll play them. Sometimes that's vanity. Sometimes that's entertainment. But oftentimes they're just renting cards out. So you have kind of this like capital exposure from like the first world nations that it's then getting lent to like third world nations where they can then earn a better living than they otherwise would have. And so it's sort of like Germans are directly employing Venezuelans and Filipinos to go, you know, leverage their assets through this kind of proof of victory game to earn as much money as possible. And by doing that, it gets back to what you said. Yeah, like come work with us. You can go sweep the floors and like, you know, there's not an infinite amount of Splinterlands you can play in a day. So you might want to have some other things to do as well. But like we're phenomenal for supplementing income like all over the map literally geographically, but also socioeconomically from the lower end spectrum dudes that have to work to the higher end spectrum dudes that like buy a bunch of cards and rent them. Like we help people across that entire geographic and economic spectrum. 
Man, just so much to unpack. I have a billion questions and I'm loving this. I mean, one thing that's been on my mind the past minute or two here is just this philosophical question. I've been, it's been over and over again in the news. I don't know who's pumping it or if it's just an emergence here of like the four day work week has been all over the place. It just sort of reminds me of this philosophical idea of like, we've made so much progress as a society, but people sort of are like less happier and like kind of feeling like they're working harder. And it feels like we could be at the precipice of this point in history where we can actually enjoy where we've gotten to. We can play games to earn as opposed to fighting battles with each other to steal each other's treasure or something like that. And maybe that's a little bit idealistic, but maybe you're on board with this as sort of that philosophical PhD style folk like me. What, what, what are you thinking there? Let's have nice things and let's have nice things together. And so, you know, I think that the current like 20th century government model of how things ought to work and the way that like we print money and the way that we do war and the way that we like engage our neighbors is basically one atrocity following another. What I hope to spread is peace, prosperity, and freedom. I hope to use crypto to do it. And I think that my game is the best on-ramp in the world right now to get people to come in you know, you don't have to buy into every piece of philosophy that I think. Like, that's not even, you know, I'm a voluntarist. I don't want to like force people into anything. I do like this Trojan horse idea of come play my game, come experience this, come trade our tokens, come rent and buy, come form camaraderie with your neighbor and people all over the world. You know, like we're just going to be less likely as a society to like want to invade the Philippines if like we're constantly as a people engaging them in commerce. And so if our governments start trying to be like, well, we the poll numbers are down, let's go wag the dog and start another war, like hopefully that's not the kind of thing that can happen in the future if crypto is widely adopted, if we are, if this economic web is very intertwined and interwoven between, you know, the common people of all countries around the world. That to me is like, this is how we have nice things. There's no law that we could write that would be like, you guys need to be nice to each other. You know, we should probably have laws that you can't murder each other. And like that, it just doesn't do the trick. What you need is like leadership and economic incentive to like bring us together as community members, as friends, as family, as neighbors, and have a social tie and a financial tie to having that be successful. It's not just that Splinterlands does this, it's crypto that does this. It's And we are just one of the best ways to get people into crypto. And over the coming years, you know, I really hope that we get better at it by, you know, providing even additional games and additional ways to get in. You know, Splinterlands is kind of this complicated, heady game, but I'd love to see some things that are like solitaire or, or things like chess, checkers, dominoes, have them be kind of play to earn so that when a player walks in, the barrier to entry is even less because they don't have to figure out how do I play Splinterlands? They just come in and they're like, oh, I'm playing dominoes or I'm, I'm playing backgammon or something. But right. it's built within this play to earn ecosystem. Maybe there's some kind of like meta storyline where you like there's a whole bunch of match three games, which are like Candy Crush. But you like play Candy Crush and then you power up your character to, to blast the spell at the evil wizard. So there can be this like separate meta game so that you walk in because this is always like from a designer because I'm still a game designer. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I run this company and I do all this stuff and I'm a chemist. But honestly, all I want to do is make games and be snarky on the Internet. That's it. So like all of this is just enabling that addiction. But what I want is to be able to go take that game and be like, look, you're going to come in, you're going to do this battle. 
And it's going to look really familiar when you start. You're just going to be playing foosball. You're just going to be playing solitaire. You're just going to be playing games that you've known your whole life. It's just going to be these kind of like easy internet things. But then it takes this twist where you're like, oh, I own NFTs and I got to do this RPG thing and I own cars and assets and all this other stuff. I want to get folks engaged, you know, even though you mentioned these sort of simpler platforms, like how do we get people into Splinterlands? We know that you have a card pack coming out. Chaos Legion launch is set to January 17th. Can you give us some details about that and, and how people can get involved? This is going to be our sixth card pack. We sold out of five. We sold out of land. We sold out of skins. This is the first like brand new offering I've had since June. And it's Chaos Legion. It's the next edition. It's one of the bigger editions that we've done just in terms of like sheer number of cards, the number of card packs that we're minting. It's honestly to match the audience. Like the number of people that have joined our game since June is, is I think we've like 50 X or maybe 70 X somewhere in there. It's been this like enormous uphill or enormous like growth curve that's happened here. So yeah, we have chaos Legion coming out. We had like a pre-sale for a month or two. But that's finally over. And now literally anybody in the community that's looking to start, like this is literally the best time to get in because we haven't had anything for people to buy since June. What's the price point for people to get? They just need one pack or how does yeah, it get so started? You, you start with a uh, Summoner Spellbook, which is a $10 like purchase and account. And I know that's a little bit weird because free-to-play games would never tell you you have to spend $10 to even start. But you know, it's like crypto. So there's bots and other things. So you always have to have some kind of barrier to entry or else like they'll just take over everything that you're doing. There's a small barrier to entry there. It's $10, but then packs are $4. This is, I know games that put out like $1,000 treasure chests and things like that to get started. And we don't want to do that. I mean, a big chunk of our audience is in like the Philippines and Venezuela. You know, if we start doing like $100 packs, we immediately price out so many of the people that we're trying to provide the benefit to. What we do is we have land, which we keep super scarce. So there's only 150,000 plots. You know, I got 500,000 VAU. So there's literally not enough land for everybody. So we have things like that, which are like super scarce that we do expect to keep going higher and higher. I mean, we sold it for 10. The highs were at like 1,000 per plot. So we've seen that thing 100x. That's what scarcity can do. But we don't want that for the card packs. We want to... Every single year, we release another set of card packs, and we want to keep it so that folks can engage at a price point that $4 is, in some parts of the world, it's a lot of money, but for a lot of the world, that's still an affordable thing to get you started. Seems quite manageable. You know, I'm, I'm imagining back in the 80s, you know, arcades, right? I mean, people would go to the arcade and get a bunch of quarters, feed them into one of these video games, you know, uh, pick your pinball or whatever. But the quarters were left inside the machine. <laughs> I think it's kind of exciting to be in this domain where people are willing to spend on this type of thing anyways, but to have the opportunity to get something back, of course, it, it's kind of, that makes sense. You know? That's the dream, right? It's asset ownership and it's yours. And every now and then people will rage quit and they'll leave the game. They'll be like, I'm leaving your stupid game and I barely made any money. And I'm like, excuse me, but you made money, didn't you? It's not all wasted. It's not all gone. You actually made money. You're welcome. Have a good day. And then they're like, come back a year later and buy back in for more. And it's like, well, you should have thought about that before. <laughs> nice. Well, we're over here. Sorry, I was buying a bunch of land and stuff. Speaking <laughs> of land, man. Okay. 
land expansion, we touched on it a little bit. Like, where do we see this going in the future, man? Like, what's on the roadmap here for land expansion? What can folks expect? We've been working on this for about a year. We sold it Kickstarter style of like, hey, if you guys want to come in with this, we'll go build it. But, you know, you got to kind of have to fund it to begin with. They bought 150,000 plots from us and we've been working on it for about a year. I probably have another quarter or two left before we can start rolling this thing out. The whole idea of this is that we want to decentralize the game as much as possible. For this game in particular, you know, we wanted to have one more round of strategy. So like Splinterlands on the like strategic end, we want it as like far into like the heavy strategy as you can get. And to do that, we have our current round, which is blind, where I blind pick my summoners and my monsters and so do you. And then they go on the board and you hit play. And what we want is one more round where I've picked my cards, you pick your cards, and then we add in items and spells. That is a second way to kind of impact the game. When we were thinking through how do we want to add items and spells, the options were like, well, do we just build another pack and then we sell them there where like our centralized business makes that money? And we're like, hell no, this is crypto. So what we're going to do, we're going to sell you land one time. And then the owners of the land are going to improve it, harvest it, and then they'll use the, the resources that they get to craft NFTs that are part of the game, which are those items and spells. So it'll be user-generated NFTs. And I mean, like, if you look at the assets in our game, they're worth like half a billion dollars. So I'm not talking about handing over the keys to like, you know, a little Miata or something and being like, here you go, community, have fun with that. I mean, this is a major revenue stream from a uh, pretty damn successful business that we are now entirely handing over to the players to say, we'll make sure that the cards that you're making are like well-designed and fair. So we'll like, we'll be the ones to design them, but you'll be the ones to mint them. And that's like revolutionary in these games. I mean, you, you go watch back and like some of these big web 2.0 kind of companies have like booted out players that tried to like print their own cards. And here we're designing entire systems to enable them to do it. So it, it, like every day, my partner and I wake up and say, how do we put as much value into the hands of our player base as possible? And then we go from that level of thinking. And when we got to like items and spells and land, we're like, this is the coolest thing we could do. Put this in the in the hands of the players and let's see where this goes. I got to say, I met Agro in Puerto Rico at a really fun event. Everyone was drinking and networking. I could tell this guy was thinking, I have to get back to work. I have to start making this game better. I got to get back to the podcast. I have a lot of content to curate here in the conference to work on. So like we enjoyed being there. Like you were clearly like so deep in this and you're living, breathing and sleeping Splinterlands. It's very evident. This is a dream, right? Like I read a book called The Purpose Driven Economy, which is all about like a lot of us, especially these days, really just want to have purpose in our lives. And the purpose that comes from all of this work is that I think that we make other people's lives better. It's across that entire spectrum. I had, I had a guy that sent me a picture of a bed and he said, I'm no longer sleeping on the floor. Thank you to Splinterlands. I had a dad that like sent me, look, dude, my kid has this like a blood disease and it's causing him all kinds of problems. And I just sit in the hospital and all I do is I play Splinterlands and I'm just thankful that this is an opportunity that I have. And I have a, like a whole set of whales that have sent me notes being like, Hey dude, this game has gone crazy. I'm a millionaire now. Thanks so much. I never believed this could have happened. PS, please write tax software. 
just that entire spectrum of people that are like feeling this on an economic level, feeling this on like a day-to-day emotional or spiritual support level, or just dudes that have made a freaking fortune doing it. I feel like this game is helping a lot of people. And my mission here is to try to help as many people out of this like terrible fiat system that we have where you work harder every year and the wealth that you have goes down. That's terrible. Let's get our money working for us. Let's get our products working for us. And that's what I think that NFTs and crypto can do. I don't think it's unique to Splinterlands. I just think that we do it in a way that's fun and can attract new users at a rate that like, you know, simple finance can't or even decentralized finance can't. We talked a little bit about your DAO plans in Puerto Rico and, and you mentioned what you're doing with land and the new sort of spells and whatnot. Is there anything else on the governance side of things that you want to cover? It really comes down to like, we want everything to be user approved. We're building a validator set of nodes. We're trying to get this game as decentralized as possible and really make the decisions of like, what version of the software will we run? Have that be up to players. So like little things, one example would be like, over the history of the cards, we probably pumped out 700 cards or something. And I think we've modified maybe seven or eight of them after we released them. You know, we looked at the cards and at different tiers or different levels, they would have win rates that were over 70%. And we're like, yeah, this is kind of breaking the game. So, you know, it's fun to have what we really like is cards that are overpowered in very narrow sets. So you get a certain rule and a certain combination, and there's nothing better than that card. But then you get to the next rule and the next combination, and you're like, I can't even play that card or it's worthless or something. So we want it so that like in all these different rule sets, things are different. We just have to design around that and kind of make this so that that we're just doing our best on behalf of players to build a game with rich economics, a rich community, and an economy that kind of spreads for the benefit of everybody. You know, you mentioned handing some things over to the users, you know, being very excited about what you're working with here. Can you give us a little bit more about what's next in, in store for Splinterland? What other uh, updates can we look out for? The product roadmap that's kind of like right down the pike here is that on the 17th, we're releasing Chaos Legion, which is our first set in like six months. And then the next thing that follows that, a lot of these games, we're getting to the point where there's so many cards that like the amount of money that somebody needs to build, pay to build like a really competitive deck starts getting higher and higher when you have to compete with these players that have all the different additions. So what we're doing is we're creating a modern format and a wild format. And there's basically going to be two tracks that you can play in of either owning just the most recent cards or the older cards and making sure that they still have value while also not forcing every single player to own every single card to be competitive. That's a big project for us. The one after that, there's sort of two kind of uh, parallel developments, one of really getting all of our SBS governance live. We spoke a lot about it and we sold it and a lot of people like freaking flooded our game because of it. And it basically crashed every server that we have. Our game runs on something like 30 different servers. You know, like a traditional free-to-play game might only run on one. And that's because of the complexity that blockchain adds. We're interoperable on Steam, Hive, Tron, Ethereum, Wax, and maybe one other as well. We have to operate across all of those. So when we had this growth that was like 10,000 daily active players to over 500,000 daily active players in like, I don't know, three months of time, it totally swarmed us. And we had to figure out 
how do we scale our servers, not just one set, but literally 30 sets for all these different kind of bottlenecks. And it took us a whole bunch of months to do that. So now what we got to do is go back and say, hey, remember all that stuff for the SBS governance? We would build like, sorry, it's been delayed, but now we're focused on that with one arm. And the second arm is really trying to get this land creation put into place so that the players have the ability to mint their own NFTs in the game and experience what that can do for them. I mean, again, it's just like a half a billion dollars is like the rough estimate of what all all of our assets that are out there are worth. And I'm hopefully turning over what I think is like a couple hundred million dollars worth of asset production leaves us as the game developers and goes into the community. I think that's going to make everything just go gangbusters. How do you... Why would you play other stuff? I mean, this is a question that I actually get, or like these are statements people make. This is a one-way valve for games. Like once you experience this, you don't go back. You're like, I'm not going to spend 500 bucks at Hearthstone or something. Well, that's insanity. It's just like pissing away money. Whereas in this game, I can actually own assets, rent them, hope that they appreciate. There's like, I have something, it might be digital, but I have this digital asset that I own. I'm not going back, never. When you look to other projects, or maybe I should ask, do you look to other projects, you know, for inspiration? And if so, like what's out there inspiring you outside of the world of Splinterlands? Personally, I'm generally attracted to the things that suck. And I don't mean the other projects that suck. I just mean like find the pain points in the world and try to find ways to solve them. I mean, like it's just little things like my bank holding my money for nine days. Like that's freaking absurd. How does anybody live like that? I generally think that good ideas and good plans really start with where you have customer pain. And so you got to like build something that helps solve it. Here it's stuff like the world wants to inflate your money and offer you the same amount of earnings per day, per hour, and just drown you. I guess I was feeling this as like a PhD chemist with like a 15 year career, trying to live a middle-class lifestyle and feeling like every day I was getting further behind. I kept thinking like, if I'm feeling this as like a mid-career PhD, like everything in the world has to be broken. Like, I don't understand how people can like pour and like eat and get the things that they need or just get anywhere close to what we consider the American dream. My inspiration really comes from like, the common pain that I see from users everywhere. And I just think like, we got to make things better for them. In terms of games, I do look at other games, you know, like Axie Infinity has definitely been a freaking like bonanza of like dollar generation. But ultimately my thought goes something like, I think we have to invent a lot of things. My brain is all around. I want our stuff to go mainstream because all I really want are users to come experience this. And if I want that, we really have to focus on the text that can handle that in terms of scalability. I'm not super impressed by what I see. There's still a lot of work left, I think, in terms of being able to to make blockchain tech really scalable. And I say that our game does like four or five million transactions per day on chain. And like all of Ethereum does 1.2 million. So on any given day, we're between like three, maybe five or even six times the amount of transactions that all of Ethereum has. And it's like, I think we can scale like another 20X without like really noticing, but even still, that's not like mega star games, you know, like Roblox is up there at like 120 million users per day or something absurd. So like, you know, there's still a lot of work that we have to do to get the tech ready. 
I'm less staring at the other guys in the field and more trying to think down the road, like what is it that we need to build so that we can really run mainstream games? I'm trying to think through that and listen to the pain points of my players, play the game myself and eat our own dog food and try to get a sense of like, what is it that's missing from this? And, and just really focused on how the hell are we going to scale this another hundred X in a blockchain environment, especially as we go interoperable on other chains. We interrupt the Edge of NFT podcast to reveal one of the best kept secrets in the NFT space right now, the Koi Network. If you are a creator or a builder or an investor in groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP. Why? Imagine a new internet where each time your posts get viewed on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter, you earn rewards. Koi's revolutionary decentralized infrastructure scales this new internet to the whole globe, transforming attention into an asset and every creator into an earner, all without the expensive high-energy usage of old-school blockchains. Here is the best way to learn more and earn more by becoming a founding member of the growing Koi community. Go to edgeofnft.com koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can publish your first Koi NFTs for free and start earning Koi today. The new internet is coming. Don't you want to be valued on it? Hey, we wanted to switch gears a little bit and get your personal perspective on some questions. It's a segment that we call Edge Quick Hitters. Basically, there's 10 questions. We ask every single guest that's on the show, these 10 set questions, just a way to get to know you a little better. Basically, we're looking for single word or few word answers, but we can go a little deeper if we want. You ready to dive in, man? I'll do my best to not be so verbose. Let's give it a shot. All right, let's do it, man. Question number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? It was probably some candy. Nice. Do you have a go-to these days on the candy front? No, I'm too fat. I, I guess it's um, Reese's peanut butter cups, but um, oh, yeah. oh, I love they're delicious. Those. But they're, they're, the they're, they're I gotta stay away. <laughs> the holiday ones, man. The pumpkins and the hearts. I, I, I gotta tell oh. you, the keto Reese's peanut butter cups. They're not ah, the same. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to like sing the praises of those. I was no, like, no. I, even... I, every one of the keto keto no. ones, and they're not good. They're just not yeah. good. But Justin's, Justin's, that is that what it's no, called? No, man. The one where those, it's like, those, a, like a gourmet. Those aren't good either. Just Reese's. <laughs> well, we'll save that for a, a debate another day. Question number two. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? I sold software. I know that's not the last thing that I sold, but if I have to think about what have I sold the most of, it's software. That's just been ingrained in my brain. Yeah, makes cool. sense. Question three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? The most recent thing I can think of is my uh, oven is a gas oven, or is, it, is an electric oven, and I'm turning it into gas. And the fume hood above it is like, it's got to be 30 years old. So it like creaks and does all those terrible sounds whenever it's operating. So <laughs> yeah. I'm finally, finally like, okay, let's get a new oven for this thing. Nice. Yeah. It's almost all electric these days, right? Very few gas. Yeah. Uh, Weird. It's terrible. Why would, I know. Why, why live like that? <laughs> right. Right. Hey, all right. Question number four, what is the most recent thing you sold? The most recent thing I sold was a Splinterlands card. I don't know that I'm responsible for every single sale, but like, you know, there's sales literally all day long. So yeah, I would say Splinterlands cards. Okay. Also makes sense. Question number five, what is your most prized possession? It's probably my truck. I hate owning things. Whatever I own, it's the fight club line of what you own owns you. 
that's part of why I love all this like digital stuff. You know, it, like there's no drawer, there's no like truck that has to move it. You just shove it into some like cloud computer somewhere and you take it with you wherever you want. And like, I hate owning things. It's a hassle. Well, let me ask you this. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? What do you have your eye on? I don't know how to answer this because I can't get my brain out of just running this company. I keep thinking of like, what games could I purchase that I could then turn into blockchain games to then bring more people into this Mm. ecosystem and experience the peace, prosperity, and freedom that comes with it. My brain is wired, arguably broken, arguably to a point where it's broken. That's what I think of day and night. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? I guess passion. It's like passion for others. It's weird. Like you you get me next to my neighbor and I'll, I'll be like, get off my lawn. But that doesn't mean that I don't like love them as a human and want better things for them. I just love them as a human and want better things for them slightly over there. It's passion and a commitment to sort of like care for your fellow man. Yeah. Couldn't ask for a better one. Question number eight, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? I guess it would be guilt or something where like, the amount of time that I've spent also not liking myself has been pretty high. If I could experience some of these gains without having gone through that much self-turmoil, that would probably be preferable, but I'm here because of it. So it's not like I'd, I'd really want to get away from that, but just some of that, that self-doubt along the way, or even just like self-frustration or self-hate, I think that would take us a long way. Question number nine, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was sitting here trying to figure out how to make another game, how we can bring on, you know, one of the things I want to do is bring on brands, right? Like, you know, you got these mega corporations that already have accumulated and aggregated millions of people. Like I can make my game and grind it out, you know, player by player to go bring them into Splinterlands, or I could get this big brand, bring them into the ecosystem and bring all their users with us. That's what I was thinking about. And that's what I was working on. I'm in. Send me the uh, investment paperwork. I'm in. Okay. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Big surprise. Thinking about Splinterlands. Okay. Question number 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I'm going to go work. I got an all team meeting tonight for Splinterlands. So I'm going to go work on my pitch deck and just sort of explaining a lot of the values that we talked about here, you know, just uh, like trying to live them and trying to get the team You know, I I just think that like culture trumps everything. And so if I can get not just me working on this vision, but like hundred or hundreds of people that are working on it, then that's just the amount that we can accomplish is like orders of magnitude higher. How big is your team and how many new folks are are you, have you hired recently? We're shy of a hundred. And I would say that like 60 of them are from the past, like since June. I mean, literally we put out this governance token and the market went nuts for it. And it just brought like so many users into our ecosystem. And then we were like, oh, we need an entire support team. We need way more devs to support all the the infrastructure that's currently on fire. And we need to go get marketing people. And I don't know, just that pump into our group started in June. It's been going strong. And now we're, I don't know, now we're up to just shy of a hundred people. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we've always found in our in our companies, our startups, man, if you can get to the why behind things and imbue that throughout the company, then it makes making decisions around the what and the how so much easier for everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You make like three decisions, right? And then everything else, just align it to those three. 
Yeah. yeah, totally agree. That's it. Awesome stuff. That's Edge Quick Hitters. Thanks so much for participating, dude. That was great. Hey there. Want to know which NFT mints are taking off? Would you like to know about them in real time while they're still taking off? What about tracking NFTs before they launch and seeing which ones are gathering a real Twitter following or boosting their discords? Which ones are hot and could take off like a rocket because so many people are excited for their launch? Mythia, a forthcoming NFT project themselves, have built both of these tools for you even before they've launched, and it's free, just because they're cool like that. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Mythia to find out more. That's M-Y-T-H-I-A. Find out any upcoming NFTs, Discord, and Twitter growth trajectory, and which mints are happening in real time so you can jump on if you see them taking off. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Mythia to find out more. M-Y-T-H-I-A. Yes, it's free. I'm heading there now myself. Uh, I think we got some hot topics to cover as well, Ethan. What do you think? First one is Arabian Camels Antara movie NFT to drop on January 12th. So Antara is the first major movie in history funded by an NFT. The Arabian Camels is the first NFT community to produce and part own the rights of a $50 million Hollywood movie. Antara Movie NFT is the first NFT that allows a buyer to digitally part own rights of a Hollywood movie, enabling holders to partake in box office and streaming revenues. This is awesome stuff, groundbreaking stuff. We've definitely like been talking and seeing talking with folks that are in this scene of building blockchain into the film and television industry. And it's cool to see this monumental event actually happen. I think I've run into three or four people that have said they did the first X related to a film and NFTs. And there's some nuance there, but let's give them some credit where credit is due. Super cool concept. And, you know, I think that people wanted to do this a long time. I remember when I first moved to LA six years ago, with Territory Foods, my roommate was looking at crowdfunding for film and how to make it more of a of egalitarian sort of universal opportunity for people to invest in the types of movies they like. But I think that NFTs have provided the lubricant that was required for this to be easy, for it to be graceful, for it to be clear and accountable. So I'm really excited in, about projects like this. We can get more voices heard. I don't even really care what the storyline is. I just feel like Hollywood has been producing the same film for 20 years. If I could go get some new things to watch or do, that would be really exciting to me. And I, and I don't think that it's going to come from inside Hollywood. It's going to come from creative minds well outside of it saying, hey, there's more stories to be told than, what, than this one narrative. Josh, thanks for kind of bringing in the sort of Outside opinion here, I guess, right? You can write a, a press release that says something's the first thing, but it doesn't necessarily make it the first. It's interesting to look into it in more detail. It's not a live movie, right? So they're, they're even just calling it the first movie sort of assumes the fact that the movie's actually going to get made. I mean, there's all sorts of st historical stories of people going down the path of making a movie and it just never got finished. I think it was. Was it Dune? Like somebody was creating a version of Dune, I think, for example, that never got made or something like that. Yeah, it remains to be seen how, how well it goes, but it's a celebratory uh, event to see that something like this has raised enough attention to uh, have some traction. All right, next 
one here is the Wall Street Bull NFT collection sold out in, what do you think, 34? No, not 34 minutes, not 33 minutes, 32 minutes it sold out in. Oil painter Cam Rackham watched in awe as his collection of 10,000 Wall Street Bull NFTs swiftly sold out in October last year. In the first five minutes of launching the NFT collection, targeted at the retail traders behind the GameStop mania, a thousand of the colorfully creative bulls riding rocket ships had already sold. By about eight minutes, half the collection was purchased. We were chatting about this before we started, and I guess I guess part of what's interesting here is it feels like there's a pullback, especially with ETH pulling back. There's a pullback in NFTs, but OpenSea is still one of the hugest platforms for Ethereum track transactions on the blockchain right now. The thing is, is every project, right, has a probability of success, if you will, but where you find community, right, again, and we've talked about this a ton on the show, but even now when, you know, maybe things were slowing down in the fall a little bit in terms of NFT sales or whatever, and people were like questioning, yeah, is it going to, is it going to, continue that path? Is it going to you know, recoup some of the ground that it, it lost in the fall, whatever? The fact is, is if you built a good community and or you have a good community and you've brought them to the table, you've brought them into the fold, like good things will probably happen if you're offering up real value, uh, real utility. Uh, in this case, these guys are tapped into the Wall Street Bets community. We know how powerful that community is. It's built around fun, around freedom. You know, tea is one of the the topics of today's conversation. And there's a lot of cool stuff happening around it. And so I'm not surprised that, you know, a project like that is going to succeed when it launches any project. And in fact, this wasn't the hot topic, but it's worth mentioning. I think GameStop yesterday announced their first NFT marketplace. So they're going to bring an NFT marketplace to life. So the whole thing is coming full circle here where GameStop is taking a role in sort of the play-to-earn market. So mm-hmm. Agro, maybe there's an opportunity to partner with uh, GameStop now that they've crossed over the bridge. Yeah, GameStop would be awesome. I'd love to love to work with them. I think just generally, like, you know, the PFP projects, I get a little bit nervous about because I don't tend to have utility, but like the Board Ape Yacht Club, what they did turning that not just into like a social status, but also like, a social passport, like that was awesome. I really commend them for having done that. So hopefully the Wall Street Bets crowd doesn't just leave that as just a pure collectible, but they figure out some kind of utility. There's a lot of those projects that had a nice shoot up and a nice shoot down and not really a lot of stability. But I think that goes back to having some kind of utility beyond collection. Yeah. And I remember early on in the NFT conversation this year, at least, you know, being the, the idea of a beanie baby came up a lot, right? It's like our NFTs beanie babies, you know, this kind of trend that is going to be exciting for people for a while and then it's going to fall off. And I think for me, the answer to that question is, well, one NFT collection could be like beanie babies. But like you said, Agroad, as long as there's utility you can attach and community and, you know, interesting things that you can attach to NFTs. They're really just a marker of ownership and it doesn't make the whole concept of NFTs, you know, something that's just a fad. I'd go the exact opposite way. I'd say that these things are going to be like the greatest store of wealth in the history of the world. There's no harder form of money than NFTs. The top of the hard money list is something like real estate or like you got to go into Boston and like buy some expensive apartment and there's no more land there. So you got to pay some exorbitant price. And part of what makes that so powerful is that they're each these kind of unique, a unique building and that there's a limited geographic region. Now, what I think makes NFTs even stronger is that you still have that property of them being unique 
it's an asset that you can own. But when you buy like Boston real estate or New York real estate, there's a limited geographic number of people that want to live there or own a property there. Whereas like you have a global audience when you get into NFTs. So, you know, I don't think every single project will be successful, but I think that the NFTs will end up being harder money than even real estate because people are going to fight over them so much. And, and it's a global audience fighting over them. All right, Egrod, I think you're giving us a wealth of quotes for your social posts. So don't let's not worry about that, guys. Uh, <laughs> I've heard a lot of great statements, definitive statements to really appreciate your uh, conviction about NFTs. Let's pour ourselves a Hennessy here, guys. Hennessy has entered into the NFT space with a $226,000 receipt, release, a $226,000 release. And Hennessy is creeping its way into crypto. The LVMH-owned Cognac brand has released its first NFTs priced at $226,450. Each will represent physical and digital ownership of the first and last bottles, one in 250 respectively, of Hennessy 8, a limited edition expression from the Cognac house. All right. Well, they're aiming high. That's clear with these prices. What do you think, Josh? Is this your next purchase? It's possible. I like what they're doing. I kind of feel like the exclusivity of these prices is not necessarily a great thing. I like what Splinterlands is doing with a little bit more accessibility to the masses. It's an interesting debate. And it's one that we're going to have at NFT LA, the inclusive versus the exclusive approach to building community and pricing NFTs. It's good food for thought. Yeah, I think there's something interesting with uh, physical underlying assets as a, a form of utility, but I don't see a ton else there built into this. There's some scarcity. There's the physical asset itself. I mean, it's a brand that speaks to certain class-related things or whatever. I don't know. Maybe uh, it's going to do well. Maybe there's something else there. It doesn't get me like that excited that it makes headlines. Like I always talk about with with almost anything that does make headlines has the meta purpose of drawing attention to the space, which I think tends to be a good thing. But I don't know about this one. I'm not so sure. Uh, we know with these projects that they can be staged, right? Like that's the pink elephant in the room that, that people don't like to talk about in the space, but I don't mind sharing. I mean, for something like this, it could be, you know, a totally legit interested buyer, but it's not like Splinterlands, right? Where I was just looking up Bag Road, you're still the number one NFT game in the world. I mean, you were when we met in number two actual DAP in the world behind Pancake Swap. Maybe there's something there. You can integrate some pancakes into the game and switch places with those guys. But I think when you look at utility and mass adoption, I think you can look at niches like like Hennessy and and their community as well. And, and maybe they have some super collectors, but this is their pride and joy. But I, I hope they think about utility a little bit more going forward and, and use this as the first of many experiments in the space. Just my thought. It feels like dumb rich guy stuff, right? Like if you have dumb rich okay. guy money, this is like a dumb rich guy thing to do. Yeah. So like, and honestly, businesses and brands should actually plan for that. Like you, you kind of want to have some kind of whale hunting, whale expedition that you're going on. I don't think it's a great look to have it as the only thing that you're doing in the space. Well, I guess, although Hennessy, I don't know, I don't know in terms of brand image that they're trying to promote, if they really even you know give a shit about it. But I guess we'll see. 
we shall see. Well, well we're not drinking that Kool-Aid Tennessee, apparently. Sounds like it. <laughs> so it's hot topics. And look, that's a wrap really on the show, man. Again, I feel like we could we could spend a lot more time chatting about everything that uh, is happening in Splinterlands. And we're definitely super pumped about it. We're going to be following all these amazing things that are releases that are coming up and everything on the roadmap. I mean, super excited about it. For anybody that doesn't know, where can our listeners go to learn more about Splinterlands, yourself, and all the amazing projects you're working on? The first thing to do is just go to splitterlands.com and like buy a sp- just register for the game with your username and password and just get going. It doesn't, we're like the easiest entry into crypto that you're going to get. So if you're a new user and you're trying to think through what to do, that just play a couple matches and start. And then after you do start hanging out with the guys, we hang out in discord and we hang out in telegram. So if you go to discord.splinterlands.com or t.me slash splinterlands HQ, those are the two ways that you can find us that we're, you know, we're on Twitter too and other social media, but like, if you really want a community and honestly, the community is one of the best parts of our game. They're like yeah. generous and kind and thoughtful and, and great. I would tell you uh, primarily come join us in discord. Where it is, we have a giveaway we're going to be doing for all of our listeners as well. I think we got 50 spell book codes that we're going to give away. So to all our listeners, keep an eye out on our socials and we'll give you the deets on how to score one of these spell book codes. So thank you for the generous opportunity to give those away, Agrod. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I think that's it, guys. I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, say something awesome, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We are unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drops, Spirit Seeds, leading to the Living Tree NFTs, which light the way to our event, NFT LA, a -a one-of-a-kind, immersive, and unforgettable experience at LA Live in Los Angeles, March 28th to the 30th, 2022. Check it out at nftla.live. And move quick on our other tickets as they are selling out fast. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. Hey, real quick, check this out. For those true fans who pay close attention to Edge of NFT, we're experimenting with some fun new rewards. You can get a free POAP NFT. That's a proof of participation NFT from us by going to our Discord, edgeofnft.com Discord, and reaching engagement level 6 by January 31. Log on now and get started. Go to edgeofnft.com Discord. Jump in, have fun, learn something, and get your free POAP NFT. There's only 50. Also, if you're the first to get one, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.